Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined by my co-editors, Chris Schutte and Greg Mitchell. This is December the 29th, just a couple of days before the new year, and the start of conference play is finally upon us, at least in a lot of leagues um, around the country. And I really wanted to make sure we got this podcast in this week, because if you've been keeping uh, keeping up with the site, which Christmas week, I wouldn't blame you if you aren't, uh, you'll see that we posted our latest power rankings yesterday. And as a staff, we could not agree on who the best team should be. We had four different teams receiving number one votes, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, Rhode Island, and St. Bonaventure. And Gonzaga ended up being the number one team in our poll. Now, it just so happens that between us three editors here, we each picked a different number one team. I picked St. Mary's. Um, Chris, you picked Rhode Island, correct? And uh, Greg, you had Gonzaga. So I, I think it would be fun for us to each just go around and make the case for number one for each of our teams. So Chris, if you want to get us started. All right. So I, I picked Rhode Island uh, because I think they've been playing uh, the best basketball of late um, sitting at eight and three. Uh, their three losses are to uh, Nevada on the road, Virginia on a neutral and Alabama on the road. So none of those are really uh, bad losses. And you, I think you made a point of it. Uh, in the rankings, they were doing a lot of this without EC Matthews. And now that EC Matthews is back and healthy, they have five or six guards on their roster that can seemingly be plugged in at any point and they can uh, provide matchup problems, play small ball, and they have a lot of different scoring options. So I think that um, given their play so far, both with and without EC Matthews, I think that right now they're probably. Uh, the best best team in the in major ranks. And one thing that uh friend of the site, John Rothstein, has been kind of pounding on Twitter uh, about their backcourt. Um, nobody else in the country has six guards and as is as deep in the backcourt as Rhode Island. So I think given that and uh, given their talent level, I think that that's what makes them the best team in the country or mid-major team in the country per se. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just want to say that I had, I would have had absolutely no problem if any of those four teams that got votes ended up being number one, uh, because I think they all have a very good case for it. My question is this when evaluating Rhode Island, and I'm not sure I really have an answer for it, and I'm not sure there is one. I think it's kind of up to the voters' judgment. We talked about EC Matthews missed um, 
good deal of time this year. Missed a whole season, what was it, two years ago? Um, Injuries are definitely a concern for this team um, and how long or how much they'll be playing at full strength. At what point do you stop judging Rhode Island or any team really on what they can be and start to throw in the injury risk as a factor when evaluating them? Because this isn't just a one-time thing for E.C. Matthews. I I think Rhode Island is unique in the sense that you've seen what they can be with him, but you've also seen what they are without him. And both of those are are very good teams. Even without E.C. Matthews, they've they've still shown that they can – I mean, they can compete. I think they beat Seton Hall and Providence both with both without him. Is that correct? Um, yes, yes. I, I don't think he played either of I mean, those so, games. So that they're good. Right. Regardless. You've got yeah. a team that can that can beat you know two teams from the Big East that are probably going to make the NCAA tournament. Um, with, with Matthews back in the mix, he kind of pushes that ceiling maybe up a notch. Whereas maybe without him, they're a team that's capable of getting to the NCAA tournament, maybe making the round of 32, you throw Matthews in the mix, you know, maybe you're looking at a, a sweet 16 team. So I think that just there showing that there wasn't really much of a fall off without him just goes to show the depth and kind of the, the system that Dan Hurley has in place. And I think they're probably one of the safer, safer bets as far as, you know, mid-major teams that could potentially uh, cause problems. And as far as, the Atlantic 10 goes, I, I think they'd still be the pretty, pretty odds on favorites with or without him. And I can't let you uh, talk about Rhode Island without giving you a second to talk about your son, Fats Russell, who, and this isn't just a shout out. He's been a very important part of this team for some reasons. I think you've already said, I I love Fats Russell one because of his name two, just because I think he's going to be a really good player for them. Um, he he's one of the guys that kind of stepped up when uh, Matthews went down. Looking at his his uh, game logs, he had twenty against um, Providence in that win, and had twelve against um, Alabama in the loss. Now that Matthews is back, he's kind of he's fallen off a little bit, you know, getting less minutes. But I think that having a guy like that that can has shown that despite being a freshman, he can come in and give you really solid play. That's a that's a luxury that a lot of teams don't have. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's a reason why I think you could expect Rhode Island to be a contender uh, with or without Matthews. Uh, Greg, do you want to talk about Gonzaga? Yeah, you know, I just think um, they're the most complete team at the mid-major ranks, um, which I know a few heads exploded right there. Um, but, you know... <laughs> yeah, I disagree, that's okay. <laughs> you know, from, you know... The, from the front court to the the back court, I again, I just think they're the most complete team, um, and I know they lost at San Diego State last week, but uh, the Essex aren't bad. And I think you know, after that game, I think some people forgot how historically, you know, in the last fifteen years, how hard it's been to win down there. Um, so I don't think that. I mean, it was a, it was a, a two point loss. I don't think that's necessarily something to punish them with. Um, I know you know the. Over the past few weeks, they had a, a game at home. They had a struggle to win against North Dakota. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can certainly understand why folks would knock them down. Um, but, again, I just think that they're complete. Um, and they have a couple guys now 
with Zach Norvell and uh, Corey uh, Kispert. And I know uh, I know uh, Kispert um, has had some injury issues here over the past month, but you know those two guys um, were not necessarily guys we thought would play huge roles. I think going into the season, and they've uh, both shown that they can be really high impact scorers. Um, so you know, with a veteran backcourt of uh, uh, Perkins and, and, uh, and Melson, and then a really high upside front court with uh, Tilly, Jonathan uh, Williams, uh, you know, I just I I think they're still the most complete team at this level. I think that's fair. Um, looking at what Gonzaga has done, there's no doubt they have some big time wins, right? They beat. Ohio State, Texas, and Creighton. And they also won at Washington, which is a win that's starting to maybe look even better than we thought it would be. And that was by 27 points. Um, the, the thing I wonder about Gonzaga from a resume standpoint is this. We had them at number one. Then they lost to Villanova handily at the Jimmy V. And we kept them at number one because Villanova could be the best team in the country and there's no shame in losing that game. Then they lost at San Diego State. Again, not a bad loss, even though San Diego State itself has kind of faltered lately. That's still a road game against a top 65 Ken Palm team. Like That could happen to anyone. I get it. I'm just wondering at what point you stop judging Gonzaga by what they did in the first month of the season and maybe take a what have you done for me lately approach with them. And to be fair, that San Diego State game is really the only opportunity they've had in the last three weeks or so. Um, but, you know, if they if they drop a game coming up here to one of these middling West Coast Conference teams, I mean, is, is that the point where maybe you drop them? Or or what? I, I'm not really sure. Do you wait until St. Mary's midway through January to, to try to judge them? I don't know. I don't know. At least for me, you know, I certainly agree. That, I mean, they're kind of in that no-win situation now in terms of um, how we evaluate them because, you know, they do have a run of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five games here um, until they play St. Mary's at home. And even then, that's a home game, even though, you know, that'll be a high-level game. You know, if they lose to any of these teams, you know, at, at, at that point, I think it is time to say, okay, yeah, let's drop them down. But as they go on the road here to, to uh, Pepperdine and Loyola, I mean, they're going to have the target on them. And it may be that they lose one of those games and it's a game they shouldn't lose. But it's, you know, does not mean that they're not a team that can still succeed in March. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you, I, I think you're absolutely right that it's um, they don't have the schedule right now where, you know, they can continue to emphasize that they are the number one team if that if that is, in fact, the case. And I'll, I'll say that that game at San Francisco on January 13th is one that I would circle. Uh, San Francisco, a solid West Coast Conference team. It's coming right before the St. Mary's game. Um, kind of has trap game written on it. That would be one that I'd be interested to see how they respond uh, there, knowing that St. Mary's is coming up next. All right, so I had St. Mary's as the number one team, and I'll go ahead and concede right away that St. Mary's does not have the best resume of all of the teams we're discussing, not even close, I don't think. Um, but that's not my only consideration when I'm trying to rank someone. 
uh, I will say that St. Mary's has looked a lot better since uh, that kind of disastrous wooden legacy where they lost to Washington State and Georgia. Uh, since then, they've beaten a Cal team that's really bad. Like, if you can't beat Cal, then you sh- shouldn't be part of this discussion. Um, they beat a Dayton team that they probably thought would be better when they scheduled it. Uh, they beat an okay UNC Asheville team, but overall, not many great wins here. I ranked them number one because in the last month, they've done everything you could ask of them. They've won every game they've played. They still, at this point, were not deep enough into the season for me to really change my uh, preseason expectation for them that they would either be or become the most complete team in the West Coast Conference. And Greg, I I know you had Gonzaga there, and I understand why. Um, But I still think having a player of the year candidate in Jock Landale, and I said at the beginning of the year, if he played for a Power 5 school, he would be a national player of the year candidate, along with uh, Emmett Nahr, Calvin Hermanson, Jordan Hunter, and the transfer Colin Neal. I don't know if anyone can match that talent and experience level. And knowing that, seeing that they have, albeit a really, really slow offense, an incredibly efficient one that has been one of the best in the country, um, at least per Ken Palm this year, I still felt that this is the best team um, that we are ranking right now. And that could absolutely change. They play tomorrow at BYU. Uh, If they get knocked off there, then forget everything I'm saying. I'm ranking someone else number one next week. Um, but for right now, they still have my vote um, until someone else can knock them off. I guess with St. Mary's, and this is a completely irrational thought, but I'm just a little bit disappointed um, because the way their schedule was where they did not leave the state of California um, throughout the non-con and played most of their games at home and played in a wooden legacy that I know Harvard's um, a little bit down as to where we thought they were going to be, but I mean, uh, by no means uh, uh, was it an impressive field. Um, I just seemed like they right. were set up for if someone's going to have a perfect non-con, uh, it was you know it was them. Um, and again, they just you know had one you know three-day stretch or whatever that was where things didn't work out so great. But I just I really thought that that was a team that could. Uh, run the table. Um, but again, that's a com- completely irrational thought because they only struggled for like three days. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's what I would say to that. Everyone loves to blast St. Mary's for their non-conference scheduling, and rightfully so, because it's not very good. Um, I mean, yeah, New Mexico State's solid. I, I think they expected, you know, the, the Wooden Legacy is not a great field, but it's fine. They expected Dayton to be better. They expected Cal to be better. It's still a bad non-conference schedule, and that's going to cost them come NCAA tournament time. You know, it might bump them down a seed line or two, or it might make it harder for them to get in that large bid if that's what they're going for. Um, but I don't want that to be why – I don't want things that the players can't control to be why I don't rank them in a particular spot. Because you can only play the games on your schedule. And since they blew those two at the Wooden Legacy, they've done everything you could ask of them. And the advanced stats kind of bear that out, that they are actually a pretty good team. Um, so that's why I was hesitant to take that into account. Now, if they get exposed in conference play in a West Coast conference that 
has some really solid teams outside of those big three, um, then again, completely different conversation. But for now, I have them at number one because lately they have done everything that you could ask of them. I think that's a great point too, and I hate I'm gonna I'm gonna do something bad here, but I'm gonna bring college football into this. I I think it's it's uh, I think it's nice that of the four teams that got the number one votes, no one had like Ohio State did with that um, awful loss to Iowa that kind of I assume uh, kept them out of the playoff. Like there's no loss on any four of those teams' schedules. That's like oh ew no, there's no way uh, they can. Uh, the Niagara, I guess, for I guess, uh, but I guess because that was a close. That was without yeah, Adams. Exactly. Right. I guess that'd be the like the one asterisk there. But still, I mean, I, it's it's not in my mind that that uh, the uh, this uh, qualifying loss is not out there for any of those teams, which is exciting. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, we don't have a writer on this pod right now that voted for Saint Bonaventure number one, but I think we all agree that they have a case. So. I think it's only fair that we talk about them a little bit too. Um, And the reason why they had the second most number one votes, uh, despite coming in fourth in our rankings. And they have some real statement wins. The most recent one at the Carrier Dome beating Syracuse. They beat Maryland on a neutral floor. They beat a pretty good Yale team. They beat a really good Vermont team. They beat a solid Northeastern team. And they just got Jalen Adams back. Uh, those two losses they have, again, Niagara, we talked about it, and neutral court to a uh, TCU team that is still undefeated. Um, with, without Adams, I think at full strength, the St. Bonaventure team maybe has been the best so far, or you could at least make the argument that they have. Um, I think we all have that January 13th game at Rhode Island circled in terms of you know, when, when we're going to learn maybe who the best team in the Atlantic 10 is. Um, but for now, St. Bonaventure hasn't done anything to make me think that they can't be um, an NCAA tournament at large team and they, can't, and they can't be a team that maybe wins a couple in March. And I don't know if you guys saw this Pona uh, uh, blog, which is a great blog for, for St. Bonaventure. And it's always exciting when, a, a team at this level has its own blog. Uh, they had a good a column. Um, I think Mike Vaccaro was the name of the writer um, on how how kind of emotional that Syracuse win was. Um, that was something I'm not sure if we retweeted from the account. I think I I think I did, but um, you know, just from a sentimental standpoint, that was a a huge win for them. Yeah, and that, that's actually something kind of important to note that I don't think a lot of people understand if you don't live in that area. I was talking to uh, Ray Floriani. He's written a couple pieces for us. He is a, he's a fan of our site. He, he's written for our site a couple of times. I see him a lot, you know, in, in New York city games, he's a St. Bonaventure grad. And he was just talking about uh, St. Bonaventure, Niagara, Buffalo, Canisius, those teams up there and how intense those rivalries are. And I think you could extend that, to Syracuse as well, at least for the teams that aren't Syracuse, because uh, they have uh, bigger things to worry about. But that's, those are kind of, I, I won't say they're throw the record books out the window kind of games, but they are games where every team will get up for it in a, in a certain way. And that's why it's so emotional when you beat one of them, 
And it's why maybe Niagara knocking off St. Bonaventure when Bonaventure wasn't at full strength, while it's surprising, isn't totally shocking, or at least as shocking as maybe the numbers would indicate it should be. And do we want to go through the rankings? I don't know if it's – I don't know if there's anything. I guess I'd I'd want to talk about why Portland State, uh, why they're not getting more respect, I guess. Oh, that's a good call. Um, We actually – I think we're going to have a piece on Portland State coming up uh, in the next couple of days, but definitely talk about them because I think they've been one of these surprise teams at the mid-major level this year. We saw it on the national stage in the PK-80 when they hung tough with Duke uh, in Texas, and they're just continuing to take care of business uh, in the non-conference. So that's definitely a team we should be talking more about. And I guess the thing with them is that they don't – you know, they only they only have a, uh, two top 200 uh, Ken Palm wins, um, a neutral uh, site game against Utah State, and then at, uh, at uh, California, which, as you mentioned, is is um, like a team everyone's uh, beating this year. But their three losses are to Duke, Butler, and Oregon. Um, and you know, the Butler game was, like, right down to the wire. And so I just – I guess it might be because they, they don't have, like, a slew of wins, but – um, there. It's almost like a you know. It's kind of a foolproof uh, resume at this point because they don't they don't have a loss to you know a team that's not like a, a power team. Yeah, I I would I would counter with this, and it's listen. I I don't want to take anything away from Portland State. Like they're they certainly look like the best team in the Big Sky. Um. At some point, you got to win your games, and they they did it. They won at Cal, which he, even if Cal's not very good, they're still a Pac-12 school, so that's great. Um, and, and same thing with Stanford, but they don't have a top 100 win. Pretty much every team in our rankings does. Uh, three of their wins are from non-division one schools, so they're only seven and three against D1, and another one of those wins is against Portland, a sub 300 team. So. Their wins maybe aren't as impressive as anyone else in our rankings. It's not to say they're not a very good team because I think they are. But when you don't have those statement wins over really, really good teams, it's hard to get noticed if you're in a conference like the Big Sky, which is no doubt a perennial one-bid league. It's no doubt a league that doesn't get any sort of national recognition, um, even if I, th- I think it's better this year than it is in most years. Like it has a ton of teams like Montana, uh, Idaho, of course, Portland State, Eastern Washington that are all solid. Um, but it, it doesn't have that one win that's really screaming to you that, hey, we need to really pay attention with Portland State. I think people are starting to come on board a little bit, and that's why they're knocking on the door of the top 25. I had them in my top 25. Um, but it, it doesn't totally shock me that they're not in there yet. Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess the one uh, counterpoint to your counterpoint I would make is that all of those uh, non-D1 games were at home, so they do have, um, let's see, five road wins already, which, well, and I guess one of those is against Portland, so I don't know how you would count that, but um, in and of itself that's impressive as well. Uh, I mean, even if those uh, teams aren't, aren't – um, in the top 100. Yeah. Uh, 
That's 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 a very good point. Um, and I guess maybe that's the uh, hidden or the silver lining to playing in a league like the Big Sky, which not only is a uh, low-rated conference on a national scale, so you're going to play your guarantees, but it's also one that isn't very geographically convenient for a lot of teams to come to, so you got to do your own traveling. Um, so, yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. And they're going to get, just looking at their schedule now, three top 200 teams in the next two weeks uh, as they kick off conference play. If they come out of these first five games, either 5-0 and or 4-1, and then I think this conversation changes completely, and they are, no doubt about it, a uh, top 25 power ranking team. Yeah, and that game against Idaho, I think that's another team that um, a lot of folks may not may not being as much uh, may not be paying as much attention to as they sh- as they should. Um, I know last week when we were talking about um, the real best player that you've never heard of, uh, Victor Sanders on Idaho, um, I think is a good a candidate for that. I watched them. Um, I watched them when they played Western uh, Michigan, um, who have who have their own. Uh, uh, very good player that you never heard of in, in a, a Thomas Wilder. Um, and he was really, really good. Um, he's averaging 19.8 uh, points a game. Um, so, you know, uh, they are 126 in Ken Palm. So I think that's a, that's a team that we may be wanting to pay attention to if they have a, a real run through the uh, uh, big sky here. Yeah. Uh, thankfully now uh, Ellie is back from Africa and she really likes the big sky. So I think we're going to start to hear a lot more about them, mainly thanks to her. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Chris, you, you brought up something in the Slack last night that maybe is worth talking about now that Missouri Valley play has started, and that is Northern Iowa. Are they actually bad? Uh, they, ha- they haven't been good lately. Um you know, they, they kind of got a little bit of buzz uh, before the Christmas break about being a potential at-large team. Um, you know, they had wins against uh, SMU, uh, NC State, UNLV, UT Arlington. And I think we, we probably even talked about this on one of our podcasts that their upcoming games against Iowa State and Xavier were going to be like some really good opportunities for them to potentially really get themselves into that at-large conversation. They didn't win either of those, you know, those are games you'd like to have, but they're not, not the end of the world, but to come out and lay an egg last night against a Southern Illinois team that it's not, not terrible, but probably not going to be one of the top teams in the Missouri Valley, uh, especially losing that game on your home floor. That's, that's not a game you want to lose to start off. Missouri Valley play. That was an ugly game too. Very ugly. Yeah, very ugly. I, I have a hard time completely dismissing a team for just laying an egg in a game. Right. Because that happens sometimes. Um, but I will say this. Their next three games, at Bradley, at Missouri State, home against Loyola, um, we're going to learn a lot about them. If they are an at-large quality team, which I don't think they can be anymore just because of their schedule. Uh, right. Or maybe they can. They've got some really good wins. Um, but if, if they're going to at least play themselves into that discussion, it has to happen here. A uh, good thing about 
the Valley, even if they don't have one great team like Wichita State anymore, uh, they've got some really solid teams. And I, I don't know who the best team in the Valley is, and maybe that's something we could talk about. Um, but it's probably either Missouri State or Loyola. Uh, and Northern Iowa is going to get to play both of them um, and try to get back into that discussion themselves. Yeah, I'd probably go with Missouri State at this point. Um, other than their little hiccup against Oral Roberts, I can't I can't remember the last time they lost without having their schedule in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, and they've been, you know, because that was something I wrote about, and I think we've talked about it on the podcast, that um, they kind of struggled um, early on with a couple of losses, one at home to North Dakota State and then one to Georgia Southern, who's not a bad team. Um, in a feast week tournament, and then and then they got rolling, um, and they won seven straight, um, and then lost that game to Oral Roberts, and it was kind of like, okay, here we go again under Paul Lusk. This is you know they've kind of disappointed, um, so is this going to be that again? And uh, but no, that you know opening win in NBC play against Loyola at home was huge, um, so it seems like they've got they've got you know a, 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 a team that should win the Valley, but are they going to, you know, they kind of have to, at least for me, kind of uh, show that they can be consistent. But, I mean, they are 11-3, and three, so that's um, that suggests they are consistent. I think we're going to need to get Harry on soon to talk about the Valley because I think it's going to get very interesting. The Valley's a mess. That's The Valley's probably the league I'm having the hardest time, you know, figuring out who I think the favorite is. You know, you look at yep. just about every other conference, you can – pretty much narrow it down to one or two teams with, with the valley i i have no clue honestly i you know because like i i watched a, a little bit of the uh Drake game last night um and they beat uh bradley at home um i i don't i don't know enough about the valley to say this like to have a hot take on this but like it didn't strike me that that like it it, it looked to me like that's a team that on um, in the right circumstances like maybe even uh, they could you know have a nice run in St. Louis and, not, and I'll put a scare into, into a lot of people. So, I mean, it, it seems like it's a, there's no Wichita state there, right? Like, like there's no right. one that's absolutely like a behemoth. Um, so it's an interesting league. And I think when we had Harry on, I think he said he was like, he had just gotten a fire going and it sounded very, uh, it sounded very nice. So I'd like to have that experience again. <laughs> he, he's very soothing and it's very nice to hear someone talk about the Missouri Valley who, knows absolutely everything there is to know about that conference right. uh, and yeah Drake Drake's an interesting uh, an interesting team and it does sound like uh, Nico Medved's getting that uh, program headed in the right direction again which which is really exciting and are, are there any really bad teams in that conference yeah that's the thing there's there's uh, not there's a bunch of like good to mediocre teams no one really good no one terrible. I don't think. Yeah, I'm looking at the the Ken Palm record projections for uh, for conference play. They have Drake and Evansville as the two lowest teams, but even at that, they he hasn't projected at seven eleven. So I mean, it's it's clogged like right in the middle, and then he has yeah, and even Evansville's not terrible. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, they're ten and four against you know some pretty hollow teams, but they. If I remember correctly, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. Yeah, yeah, they're they're ranked number one. They've got I should know this being an Indiana person, but 
Um, yeah, they've got they've got shooters, and I mean that's that's a dangerous thing, especially in a like on a neutral court in St. Louis. That's not something you'd want to get stuck facing on short notice. Yeah, and they've already beaten Fresno State. They put a scare into Illinois State. Another team, I forgot about them, that is in that discussion to be one of the best in the conference. Uh, and they played Louisiana Tech tough. Louisiana Tech's another pretty good team. So I don't know. The, the, the Valley's really interesting this year. And and uh, they just got uh, Ryan Taylor back, who um, stands out to me only because when I talked to Porter um, Moser uh, for a story earlier this year and asked him his thoughts on how the Valley was doing. And, and I think this was toward the end of November. Uh, the one guy that he specifically mentioned was Ryan Taylor at Evansville. Um and he was out for about a month with an injury and just came back um, against Illinois State in the opener and scored 22 points. So um, he was not there for that uh, horrific outing they had in, uh, in Cameron Indoor. Um, so maybe that's that's why they lost by 64 points um, in part. But, um, so yeah, I guess uh, they're getting stronger as well. Yeah, so uh, I know we're kind of pressed for time, right, Greg? Uh, but do you have uh, trivia for us? I do, and it's not good, so prepare yourselves. But I know, as you said, that's a, that's a that's requirement. A, that's our requirement, yeah. But you can probably take a guess at, um, and this is not the trivia because I'm thinking you'll know this, who has the highest possession percentage per a Ken Palm in the country right now? He's very exciting as a player. He's not a mid-major player. Uh, is it Trey Young? It is Trey Young, yes, at 38.3%. Um, the next 17 players are all from our teams. The 18th guy is a Power 5 guy. Um, can you guess who the second most ball-dominant player in the country is? Oh, this is a good question. And I don't know that it, I don't know it jumps off the page, and I'll kind of give you a hint. It's a guy I just wrote about last night, so that's that's kind of the reason I'm asking. Pretty fun belt. Is it Hervey? It's not. Not Hervey. Oh. Uh, is it Neil? It's not. It's got to be a Sun Belt guy, right? It is a Sun Belt guy. Um, it is a guy who we had a reporter at for a really exciting – overtime uh, game at their gym about a month ago. His team lost. We got photographs of it. And they were very good photographs. Is it uh, Simons for Georgia, Georgia yep. State? Yep, it, yep, it's DeMarcus Simons who is really? using 37.4% of his team's possessions. Wow. Um, and he's also taking over 16 shots a game. So his numbers are awesome. Um, and, and you know, but you, it, they're by necessity going to be loaded just because he is, you know, uh, playing so much. Um, so here's a question then. Who is the uh, number one is a power five guy. And then number 18 is a power five guy. That's, that's the next power five guy. Uh, can you name who that next guy is after a Trey Young? What conference? He's in your favorite your favorite conference to watch. Oh, oh gosh. All right, so not the Big Ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who is 
high, I'm trying to think of like high usage guys. Is it? He's a high usage guy in the most fun conference in the country. And his team caused a giant stir in our Slack for a controversial win they had. Oh, um, is it uh, Ethan Happ? It is Ethan Happ. I saw somebody tweeted a stat of his yes uh, the other day. It might have been Ken Palm that he just has like absurd advanced stats, like as far as like assist percentage and like rebound percentage goes. He, I saw him here in Kansas City for the CBE, and he he's a in person he's kind of a like he's really tall, but he's kind of proportional, you know. Like he he moves well for his size. I don't I don't know if I'm describing that very well. Yeah, he's a pain in the butt. <laughs> I've, I haven't thought about Ethan Happ. If after his basketball career is over, if he wanted to start a blog where he would talk about basketball or <laughs> if you will, Stop. what do you think it would be called? Valparaiso basketball, perhaps any basketball, but Valparaiso hoops especially. What would Ethan Happ call that? Where the hoops happen. <laughs> the good name. That's, yeah, that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So the uh, t- top ten on that um, uh, possession percentage list are some uh, unsurprising names. Chandler Hutchison at, at Boise State is probably pound for pound the best player on there. Uh, number five, uh, Chris uh, Clemens. Um, I don't think that's surprising. Is, is Burke on that list? Who are we talking about now? I'm not seeing him. Burke Marcus here. Burke, the other one from Campbell. Because uh, uh, for a bit, and then he went off. No, I'm not seeing him on here. And you can hear the Kemp um, uh, wrong searching in the background. No, but your one of your favorite players from Mount St. Mary's is number six. Oh, uh, Robinson. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. so. so there's your ball-dominant trivia question for this pod. Well, I think the lesson there is the shorter you are, the better you are at basketball. I think so. A lot of guards on this list. Yep. Yeah, who would have thought that the high usage guys would all be guards? <laughs> it's ground <laughs> groundbreaking. Yeah. Groundbreaking stuff here. All right. Uh, do we have anything Guys, else? Quick question. Yeah. Since it's the end of the year, what was the f- uh, favorite thing you either wrote or went to this year mm. well i i would say that my favorite thing that i went to this year two th- two things one not not mid-major but it was one of the one of the best maybe the best sporting event i've ever been to in my life was the uh the sweet the sweet 16 the east regional this year um when uh, the, the Florida won oh, at Flor- the buzzer, Florida, Wisconsin. yeah, Florida, Wisconsin, on the uh, running, chose uh, a shot at the buzzer. Uh, that the atmosphere at MSG was amazing, and it was just so much fun watching that down the stretch. That that was the number one that I went to, and it wiped that smug smile off Aaron Rodgers' face. <laughs> <laughs> and then n- number two, and I, I hate to talk about them for the second consecutive podcast, but way back in January, I uh, got to go with my family uh, to central Connecticut, see them beat LIU at home. And at halftime, they had a, uh, a ceremony where they retired quotes around retired the quotes around Jersey 
of uh, of my late aunt, who was the academic advisor there for 30 years for that team, uh, presented our family with a framed jersey that will hang in the academic uh, academic offices in that athletic department. Um, so that that was really cool to see, and it was so nice of them to do that for us and to top it all off a central team that won six games all year uh, ended up winning that day, which, which was really cool. So that, that was my number two. That's a hard one to follow up on. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think for me, uh, summit league tournament in Sioux Falls semifinals, um, South Dakota state played South Dakota. Um, it wasn't the, the arena wasn't half and half. I mean, I think there were more South Dakota state people there, but it was a pretty close and, I mean, it was an amped atmosphere, and it was a really good game. Um, Mike Dawn played well. Matt Mooney played well. Um, came down to the last minute, and it was uh, it was a great atmosphere. Um, so I think, I think that's the, the one game that stands out uh, that I was at this year. You have a favorite How about you, Chris? Um, probably the, the first-round uh, tournament games in Indianapolis, specifically the – uh, one between Wichita State and Dayton. Specifically, I mean, the were, picture you got with Bill Raftery. Let's be honest. That, well, that too, and you know, getting and the, the dude with the beard, right? Yeah, the dude with the crazy mustache being on TV, um, <laughs> and then Greg Marshall's wife stumbling into the press conference after the game against oh, Kentucky right. was pretty fun too. Right. So that, that was a fun experience. I'm sad that Indianapolis doesn't have any games this year. Do you want to talk about the favorite, our favorite things that we wrote? Uh, I mean, yeah, mine's kind of related to that. The uh, yeah, Steve McIlvain. That was an excellent story. If that wasn't it, I was thinking at you because that was great. And, you know, I see everybody like on Twitter like posting all their stuff. Here's some of the favorite things I wrote this year. Is like mine would be all right. This is like the only thing I really like am happy with that I wrote. But yeah, that was that was a story I really enjoyed writing. Not only because you know, you get to talk to all the players, but because he's a guy from my hometown of Fort Wayne and I knew some people that played with and against him. So that was, that was kind of an interesting story to write. Greg, what about you? Cause I, I'm, I'm scrambling through all of my articles right now, trying to figure out what I liked. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I wrote something on, on a Cal St. Bakersfield, um, at the beginning of March last year. And I just really like talking to Rod Barnes. Um, he was extremely honest about kind of how low the program was when he took it over. And it was only then just a few years into being a division one program. And um, he's just, he's just a really fun guy to talk to very uh, quotable, very uh, honest. Um, so I, you know, I was really impressed and, and because he, you know, um, he had said, and you could tell that it was really important to him after um, things didn't didn't work out at Ole Miss, and they didn't work out at Georgia State. That um, he had gone there and kind of uh, proven to himself and everyone else that you know he 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 is a really high level college uh, basketball coach. So um, yeah, I enjoyed that story. That was this week's whack minute. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, very good. Um, you know, I, I don't think I had one uh, real story that I loved. Unless I'm sure I'll think of something later. Uh, but one thing I'm really glad that we did this year and something that I think brought a lot of the mid-major fan bases together uh, was the uh, the mascot bracket over the summer. Yes. Uh, 
Um, it got a lot of it got a lot of mid-major fan bases involved and excited about their schools, their programs, their teams. Um, and and it, it was a lot of fun. We met a lot of great people from around the country in various athletic departments who wanted to uh, help promote their teams. And it's something as silly as a mascot bracket that you get to vote on. It, it got a lot of people excited. It, it got a lot of people to go to our site and learn about who we are. And I, I think it was just a, a, it was a really good thing to do. It was something that started out as a simple way to pass the time in the summer when we're dying for content. And I, I think it ended up being something that that was really good. So I, I'm glad that we did that. I, th- I think if I was going to pick something that I had the most fun writing, it was probably like a couple weeks ago, writing about the Farouk Maness shot. Like I just, oh, yeah. I, I I love that play more than anything in college basketball. Yeah, and that, that reminds me, I also enjoyed writing about uh, the Vermont teams when we did throwback week. Yes. Uh, the, the Tom Brennan teams, TJ Sorrentine shot. Um, because, just because I remember watching that growing up, um, watch, watching those – Vermont teams as someone in the Northeast who knew that that program was kind of getting good and then to see them uh, beat the team I hate more than anything in this world um, in just crazy fashion was so cool and getting to relive that was a lot of fun. All right, great. Well, thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. For Greg Mitchell and Chris Schutte, I'm Russ Steinberg. Have a happy new year. We will talk to you again. Uh, in the first week of 2018. So until then, bye everyone.